Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me, Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Fora TV. The world is thinking. The AP poll came out a couple weeks ago saying that one-third of white Democrats harbor negative feelings toward black people. And that a quarter of those white Democrats may not vote for Barack Obama. Now we have to ask what is the justification for the resistance, all of the mythology that has been distorting him, whether he is a Muslim, what would be wrong if he were a Muslim? That should be no harm, but the reality is he ain't. He's a good old Christian on the south side of Chicago, and by now everybody knows his pastor. <laughs> so some have raised the question whether he was Christian, but that's another conversation. I, I, I certainly would contend he is. But the reality is then that for many white brothers and sisters, then the resistance of Barack Obama can be justified by what? Appeals to conceptions that perhaps he lacks experience. That would be a legitimate concern. But not because as a black man who is the nominee of the party that they now are participating in, that they would justify either not voting for him, staying at home and refusing to vote for him, or not embracing him because for no other reason than that he is a black man. Now, for all of those who claim we live in a post-racial society, that may not be an ideal toward which we should aspire. Post-racist, yes to get beyond the lethal indignities that are associated with ethnic bigotry, yes, to get beyond the ruin of race, yes, but not beyond racial identity, not to cleanse ourselves in the healing pools of whiteness. As Du Bois himself conjured that image in 1903 in the souls of black folk, no, we should not attempt to be post-racial, but post-racists. 
We should not have to give up who we are or what we look like or the identities that we have accrued over space and time struggling for self-definition in a culture that refused to acknowledge our fundamental humanity. And now Barack Obama is walking a serious tightrope on the one hand trying to acknowledge that he is part of the great drama of American democracy and the pageantry of possibility and on the other hand people on either side calling him out for not being enough or too much of a good thing. And so the dream that people had in this country about reaching that racial nirvana or reaching for that place where Dr. King said that race would no longer be the significant factor to determine who and what we are and what we get in this society, maybe not so fast. And in light of this subprime mortgage scandal and then in light of the fact that we got a $700 billion bailout for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Jimmy Mac can't get no love. Average brother and sister out here trying to make their way white or black or brown or red or yellow can't even get the government to help them out. We could use some good fiscal conservatives like Bill Cohen to clean that mess up, but at the same time, we tell poor people who are vulnerable, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstrap, and yet multi-billion dollar corporations making more than trillion dollar mistakes are receiving the public largesse. We have socialism for the gifted, and we have self-help and capitalism for the poor. Good evening. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight where we speak truth to power and ourselves. Tonight, our guest is Dr. Jahi Isa. Until March 2012, he was an assistant professor of history and Africana studies at Delaware State University in Dover, Delaware. During that time, a group of students assembled in protest of the Delaware State University president, Dr. Harry Williams, after the state auditor criticized the university's business practices and for the decreasing percentage of black students at this historically black university. Police during this time arrested Isaac and escorted him away until he dropped to the ground and requested an ambulance. After being seen at the hospital and later released, the Delaware State University police charged him with disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, offensive touching of a law enforcement officer, and inciting a riot. Dr. Isa was born and grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and was awarded his doctorate in history from Howard University. His forthcoming monograph examines the Universal Negro Improvement Association in Louisiana and its contribution to African nationalism. He is currently banned from the DSU campus and is facing a prosecution that could put him 
behind bars for more than two years. This incident has fueled concerns that Professor Ice's arrest and the pending charges represent an act of repression and retaliation for his forthcoming of the truth and the EEOC and other complaints he has filed while he has was on the faculty at Delaware State University and not because of any actual crime he committed. This situation is exceedingly outrageous. It depresses us all and he is of course the person who is joining us tonight at our common ground. We thank you for being here and hope that you will join in this discussion not only about Dr. Ice's incident, but also we hope that you will join us in a discussion about the future of HBCUs, the political structure, the financial malfeasance that we are seeing in many of them, and the financial collapse and what it means for an HBCU to have to depend upon... I heard it came from space. Somebody's going to have to turn their radio, their, their computer down. And what it means when our institutions have to depend upon external funding for their survival. Dr. Isa, thank you so very much for being with us here tonight. And we certainly um, welcome you to our common ground. Yes, thank you very much. Um, um, that 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 handsome man that's on the picture that um, is being circulated. Please tell me that's not you. <laughs> that is not me. I am I much have more. Pictures of I am you much I more said, handsome. <laughs> yeah, I look a lot better than that guy. And, I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the two. I have two pictures that said Isa. And I said, okay, which one am I going to use? And I said, oh, I like the brown shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. He's a well, handsome-looking guy, so I, I hope he doesn't yeah, he get angry. <laughs> the other one is a handsome-looking guy as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't mind being represented by another handsome black man. So. <laughs> Do you have any idea who he might be? I have no idea. <laughs> the world, I have no idea. The, the world of the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that that picture clearly said Dr. Jahi Isa. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who who put that out there. He might have. Um, he might have been the security, the the Delaware State University security hey, uh, officer who who arrested you. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, thank you. In Let's any put case, it on him. <laughs> I will certainly make a correction, and thank you for. I wish you had had called me because I used it on another promotion when you were with uh, Ricardo Jones last Tuesday night uh, ah. as well. Okay. Uh, let a sister know. <laughs> now, tell us. Um, I, I've given our audience uh, a, a, a pretty brief overview of this, what must be a traumatic uh, and life-changing uh, experience. You know, no matter what we understand 
about how repression and oppression and white supremacy works in our world when it happens and when it affects everything you do. Tell us about what occurred. Well, you know, because I have um, pending criminal charges, uh, I can only talk about what's already in the media. Um, the um, um, but I, I can say this: I was actually fired on um, August the seventeenth, uh, relatively recently. Um, I walked into a meeting that I thought was a union hearing meeting, which is called for by my collective bargaining agreement, and um, I was given a termination letter, um, uh-huh. which was a violation of my collective bargaining agreement. There was no due process. There was no hearing. They just said, hey, you're you're terminated. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> and, of course, I said, what is there to talk about? You know, and my attorney, who was not prepared, who seemed as though he was pretty much a part of the whole game, um, started saying that he wanted to talk. And I'm like, what is there to talk about? Let's leave. I mean, they can. Uh-huh. I mean, there's uh-huh. nothing to talk about. So, um, now, were, I, you, were you represented by your union? I was represented by a union attorney, um, which um, um, he really did nothing. Did nothing, but that's a part of the game. A lot of these attorneys are all bought off in the system by the system, and so. Um, um, but also, um, the, I mean, the, the, the report that you were reading from um, about what happened—that's that's the the university side of the story. Um, that's not uh, uh-huh. not all the way accurate. And uh-huh, like uh-huh. I said, a lot of it I can't talk about it, but I can say this, that I am innocent on the four um, misdemeanors that they are charging me on, that it is, um, I just find it outrageous that the state um, under Attorney General Bo Biden Jr., uh, who is the son of the Vice President of the United States, is prosecuting me. Um, this is not a criminal issue. This is a personnel issue. Um, I had the right, due to my um, contract as far as um, my collective bargaining agreement contract and academic freedom, to be outside with my students and support them in their efforts. Um, I had that right. And I think um, I'm probably, well, as of um, a week ago, I was probably the only um, African-American uh, a probably professor in the last 40 years who's been arrested uh, for simply supporting students in their First Amendment right. And so, um, Dr. Isaac, uh, can I ask you to have the your, whatever's going on in the background is coming through your phone? Sure, sure. Okay, thank you. Uh, let me let me let's first talk about the student protest. The students were protesting the actions and the financial oversight of the university. Right. Right. Um, they were. Um, I think a few weeks prior.
prior, the university had put out a report. No, the state auditor had put out a report saying that uh, there were issues with about $2 million. I don't I think they were saying they were misappropriated. And um, that, that, that report went, it was on the news and in the newspapers, and that um, the president had misappropriated this money somehow. I think that's how it was. And uh, that audit report, if you go to um, just Google um, Delaware State University State Audit Report 2012 um, with the state auditor, you'll see that report come up. Uh, it's about a 10-page report. Um, there were other issues going on um, um, at the university that I can't um, talk about because because of the criminal matters. But I, I, I can say this: the students were to have a rally um, in front of the uh, Martin Luther King Center, where they were going to demand more um, black professors. Um, it was supposed to be a peaceful rally and where they were going to walk to the Board of Trustees meeting, which is about um, about 300 yards from the Martin Luther King Center, and go into the meeting, which is open to the public, and ask that the university um, hire more African-Americans. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, now, for those of you who are listening, Delaware State University is in Dover, Delaware, if you're just joining us, and it's one of the nation's uh, historically black colleges and universities, what is fondly called an HBCU. It was established in 1891 as the State College for Colored Students by the Delaware General Assembly under provisions of the Morrill Act of 1890 by which land-grant colleges for African Americans came into existence in states that maintained separate educational facilities for black students and for white students. The school has an enrollment of about 4,000 students and is the second largest university in Delaware and currently an estimated 72% of its students are African American. Our guest tonight, Dr. Jahi Iza, was fired from his position on August 17th as assistant professor of history and Africana studies, uh, and he faces some serious criminal charges and several years in jail. And these are related to, according to the official record, they are related to his attendance at a March 1st, 2012 student rally, uh, a rally which among other things, was against attacks on black education. And one of the slogans for this rally was, it's time for a change. Now, according to the university, his permanent discharge stems directly from his attendance. But, Dr. Isa, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if... That's the real story, and whether or not this has to really do with something that I really appreciated being able to read prior to this incident, when you wrote a report 
a commentary, How Black Colleges Are Turning White, and it was published in the Black Agenda Report, for which this show is a supporter. Can you talk about the relative relationship between that publication and your termination? Oh, sure. Even before the publication, um, I came to Delaware State um, in 2008 with um, good intentions, um, like any new um, professor. Um, I left Elizabeth City State University in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, um, um, where I was at uh, for three years, and I was recruited to Delaware State University. And going to Delaware State University, um, the first semester of my first year there in 08, um, one of the senior um, European-American faculty approached me and told me that um, that I was too black and that the, my classes, that I, I taught all African-American history classes, uh, that I was offending some of the white students and white faculty with my lectures um, and that if I continued on that path, I would find myself removed from the university similar to another black faculty member who occupied the office before me who in whom they discharged. So, you know, I'm new at the university. I'm like, wow, I mean, this guy, he's five foot seven and, you know, I'm six foot one. And I'm like, what, what nerve? Do you have to even come and tell me? But it told me a lot about what was going on. <clears throat> and even before then, I was told by the former president of the school. I was told by former by administrators that the school would be like a West Virginia state or a Bluefield state university. Now these are schools that were um, <clears throat> that are historically black colleges. Um, they're located in West Virginia, and um, they receive millions of dollars in federal aid for being historically black colleges. However, you know, there are no black people at these schools, <laughs> or there are very few. Like, I think at one of the schools is um, like 88% white, another school is like 90% white, and the African-American faculty or black faculty is less than 3 or 4% at both schools. And so... When I was first told this, and, and when I arrived at Delaware State, they were basically telling me, you know, you need to get with the program. This is going to be a white school, you know, and you need to understand that. And what we're trying to do is move this school into a white school. So that started, I started, you know, um, um, bells started ringing now. When I was at Elizabeth City State University, which is a state school in North Carolina, um, similar things were going on, too, there also. Um, you saw a large influx of white students. You saw um, the dismantling of African-American faculty and them being replaced by European-Americans and um, Asians and um, continental Africans. But and so I, I kind of started the research there, but I didn't know where I was going, and I dropped it. But when I came to Dell State, it was right in my face. So I began to look at. I was like, I asked one colleague. I said, "What is Bluefield State and West Virginia State?" I didn't know that they were HBCUs, and um, so I went online. And many people and I, would not know. Right, right. Well, I went online. 
and I uh, looked, and you know, I didn't see any resemblance of an HBCU. You, you may now, but since my article came out, they changed both of their websites to make it look like they're black people. <laughs> but um, um, <clears throat> I was like, wow. Um, this school doesn't have many black people here. Then, I, so I began to f- formulate this idea that why are they? I began to ask this question: Is why are these schools calling themselves black colleges, HBCUs, when there are obviously no black people here? I mean, and so are very few black people. And that's how the research began. And so by um, two thousand and Ten, um, I basically had um, basically finished the article, the harassment against me by the um, faculty at the university was intense, um, and um, um, but I maintained my composure and I began to file EEO complaints and um, other um, um, in-house. Um, human resource complaints against um, the, the the hostile environment that was going on at um, Delaware State University at the time, and then in the um, September of 2011, uh, my article came out in the Black Agenda Report. Now, I, you know, it was an investigative article. It has a lot of footnotes, a lot of primary sources. Um, I didn't understand the impact, and I most definitely didn't understand the level of retaliation that would be aimed against me at that time. I, I, I was really naive. Um, but the article came out with the Black Agenda Report. Uh, three days later, the Black Agenda Report was hacked, and it was shut down for more than a week. And my article was attacked. And the editor, one of the, the, the assistant editors, told me that the website had never been hacked, ever. Mm-hmm. And um, as, as a matter um, of fact, um, when that was going on, I had a discussion with one of the editors at uh, Black Agenda Report, Bruce Dixon, uh, about what was going on. Yeah. Mhm. You, you know, one of the things I want everyone to understand. Uh, from this broadcast tonight is how important HBCUs are. And when they become dysfunctional, when the purpose of these schools are marginalized on one end and the mission is changed on the other, we need to take a very, very close microscopic look and examine what is going on. Here is this tragic um, oppression uh, with Dr. Issa on one hand, and then you have Mars Brown uh, University in Atlanta, which is another HBCU that is being foreclosed upon. So... We have really got um, to take a look at what's going on. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to make that 
I wanted to make that point, Dr. Isa. Oh, no problem. Um because you know this, let, let, let's 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 talk about um the whole i mean when you think about the potential that there's some heinous um, criminal activity going on in the background of this story um well well first they, even if we look at bluefield bluefield state in west virginia state and if people read my article, How Black Colleges Are Turning White, the the ethnic cleansing of HBCUs in the age of Obama, the article title was meant to be extremely provocative to 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 um to do to, to, to try to grab attention and to create um dialogue, right? But what people are not really understanding is that uh as I talk about in the article that the the Higher Education Act of 1965, which clearly states that an HBCU is and was, and I'm quoting it verbatim, is and was any school that was created before 1964 whose sole purpose is and was the education of black people. It doesn't say Mexicans. It doesn't say uh, Martians. It doesn't say uh, people who live in the sea. It says black Americans, right? And these universities are protected by federal law, and they get billions of dollars in federal aid based on that act, right? Now, HBCUs are not the only schools that are protected under federal law, under a, a federal cultural protection. You have about 30 um, Native American colleges and universities. You have about 15 um, Hispanic schools, right? But HBCUs are the largest. So whenever a school falls out of um, tune with its blackness, including um, not having um, black professors, uh, African American professors uh, 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 specifically, um, then they are in violation of the Higher Education Act. They're in violation of federal law. And so, um, when this article came out in September, um, I think more than I think Mr. Dixon told me something like eight or nine thousand uh, people had downloaded the article within a few days. Right, and then um, I ended up going a few weeks later to the White House. The White House has an annual conference on black colleges, and I ended up going there. And I met briefly with the White House advisor on HBCUs, whose name is um, Dr. Um, John Wilson. Um, he he went to Morehouse and then matriculated to uh, Princeton and um, Harvard, I think. Um, and I met with him, and he, he, he said, look, before you write your second article, I want to um, uh, I want you to come to my office and talk to me. And so I did. I went to his office in October, and we talked, and he was trying to sell me on the issue that um, HBCUs are uh, what the Obama administration is doing for HBCUs. And, and I asked him, well, what about the, the, the whitenization of, of these schools, this is going on, and um, he he didn't really want to talk about that, and um, and I said, well, th this is very important, 
you know, since it is the HBCU that really created the vast, um, the large amounts of the black middle class. And it is the HBCU that, that, that experience that created a Dr. King and a Du Bois and an Oprah Winfrey. And I can go on and on and on and on and on. And so, but he really didn't want to talk about it. Uh, he, uh, he pretty much gave me the impression that, um, that, that the HBCU is basically being black is a thing of the past. And so, um, in February, no, in October, I wrote a rebuttal in the Chronicle of Higher Education of an article that he wrote. And I went and wrote a response to it, basically saying that these school, what he was saying was, was, he was making an erroneous ideological stance by saying that HBCUs have all of these problems and since they have all of these problems, they have to be reformed and the best way to reform them is to get, uh, on corporations to come in and take them over. And I said that would destroy HBCUs, and I said, uh, and it would put HBCUs back in the hands of the people who had kept us in slavery and had kept us in Jim Crow, and um, I think I made this statement in in, in my article, and then um, um, uh, <laughs> it's just been a it's been a lot of the the harassment and the retaliation at the university seemed to increase. Because now I was able to really see what was going on, why Delaware State, why they they were removing so many of the African American faculty, and um, and it was an agenda where black administrators are brought into these schools to turn them over to white universities, essentially. And so because I became a vocal mouthpiece on this and, and because this is an issue of the federal government, only the federal government can step in and say this is wrong. Um, and since a lot of um, people within the federal government have no interest in doing that, um, including the, um, uh, the, the Secretary of Education, Mr. Ernie Duncan, in whom I gave him a copy of my article, and he's very aware of me, um, uh, what we're looking at is a possibility is that within the next generation um, there will be very few HBCUs. And, what, and the argument that a lot of people are making is that there will always be HBCUs, but they may not have black people in them. <laughs> and mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you say that because um, <clears throat> while we've been on the air, and I've been experiencing this problem for the last couple of days, um, and I'm not sure why, and I've contacted Facebook. But my promotion of this broadcast disappeared from my Facebook page. Oh, yeah. Um, I can tell you, since I've been arrested, uh, my phones have been tapped, uh, my cell phone um, documents have been ha- my cell phone, which I have a Android phone, have been hacked, um, and documents have been taken from them. My computer, my emails have been hacked. Um, I am trailed constantly um, by people whom I don't know. Like if I get in my car, um, I, I, <laughs> people follow me. You know, um, 
Um, so this is the type of information that the government really doesn't want to get out because there's one thing that may anger uh, black people in this country, uh, and that's that's the issue of education, simply because historically we were denied this right. And um, now, since the, the, some leaders in this country are trying to give the illusion that we're in a post-racial world, then they feel it's necessary that they try to destroy these HBCUs. And I think people also need to understand, too, that although these HBCUs are grossly under underfunded, and although there may be some issues at these HBCUs, the HBCUs, um, according to a report that I talk about in my article, uh, uh, um, black students who go to HBCUs do better in a in a job market than white students who go black students who go to predominantly white schools. Why is that? That the reason is is the culture emphasis. If you have a HBCU that has a majority African American faculty, that African American faculty is going to take you as if you were a child of his or hers. Mhm, mhm. And 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 that's true. And that's true even for most people's experience and observation during um, times of segregation where public schools were segregated, that black teachers performed at a much higher level in terms of um, engagement of students, encouragement of students, motivating students. Um, I mean, I went to uh, segregated schools in South Florida, and I can tell you that um, I can read off a list and go on and on of the graduates of that segregated high school who have achieved at at the various um, professions at a very high level. One of them includes the CEO of the Harvard Foundation, uh, who also attended uh, Tennessee A&I. Uh, one of them was a senior vice president and the head of Rebuild um, LA, who is a graduate of, FAM, uh, of Florida A&M University, and it goes on and on and on. So I'm, I, we're, we're getting a, a, an echo, and uh, I'm going to go for a break, Dr. Isa, to see if we can't fix it. Thank you all for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. Our guest is Dr. Jahi Isa. He was fired from his position as Assistant Professor of History and Africana Studies at Delaware State University. He faces some serious criminal charges related to what the university is saying is uh, his attendance uh, at a protest rally uh, sponsored by students, and he was in attendance uh, to support his students. It was a, a lawful rally outside a board of uh, trustees meeting, and we're going to talk more about this because I want to talk to you about what you understand about the underpinnings of all of this. Oh, this yeah. is Most our definitely. common ground. We're speaking truth to power and ourselves. We'll be right back to try to fix this echo thing. 
Republican Congress is looking to defund parts of Dodd-Frank. In the face of these losses, of this risk-taking, why aren't the Democrats now pointing the fingers to be saying they will be responsible should there be a need for government to step in with another bailout of banks because of this risk, about of these risky derivatives of trading? Why aren't the Democrats pointing the fingers at the people who are standing in the way of reforming the financial institute? That's malpractice, malfeasance. And to me, it just simply seems, and I know, I, I'm not I know because they're getting money from these same financial institutions to stall, to get this into. But if Republicans are playing cutthroat politics, why are the Democrats playing that? And why can't they be on the offensive? And that, that's the first thing. Here's the second charge. You've got the Republicans beating this old message of debt. You've got Mitt Romney standing in front of a dead clock now. And that will be the narrative. And the Democrats, you don't see this coming? You don't see this narrative coming as they force another debt fight, as they the best in political talkback, common sense, right from the concrete, urban, progressive, politics, 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 Friday nights at TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m., Alpo drills down deep the lies, the conspiracies in politics. It's just damn politics. The Alpho Show. The act of suicide claims the lives of nearly 32,000 people annually in the United States, and an average of one person every 18 minutes dies by suicide. Suicide is the 11th leading cause of death in the U.S. By way of comparison, homicide is the 14th. An estimated 730,000 suicide attempts are made in the U.S. each year. Almost four times as many males as females ages 15 to 19 died by suicide. More than six times as many males as females ages 20 to 24 died by suicide. Some possible reasons for suicide are depression, suffering, stress, grief, mental illness, family violence, alcohol or drug abuse, financial loss, and loneliness. More than one person is affected. Each suicide intimately affects at least six other people. Most suicide attempts are expressions of extreme distress, not harmless bids for attention. A person who appears suicidal should not be left alone and needs immediate mental health treatment. If you know someone that needs help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. On September 4th, the Democratic National Committee will gather to nominate President Barack Obama a second term as President of the United States. Join us at an Our Common Ground special looking at the Democratic National Committee 
and its investment, or our investment, what will it offer us? How will it speak to our political interests? Joining me as co-host, Alpha of the Alpha Show, and Dr. Wilmer Leon of Inside the Issues at XM Sirius Radio. Thursday, 10 p.m. live during the DNC and our Common Ground special, examining and exploring what they're doing and what we must do. It's time for us to offer an agenda and challenge to where we have invested our electoral strength. I'm Janice Graham, Thursday, 10 p.m., and our Common Ground special on the DNC, real time, real talk. I'll be listening for you.
And so yeah. because of that and because I am the mouthpiece for this, I am the mouthpiece on how more than 300,000 black people every year go to these HBCUs to get skills to survive. They have to do whatever they have to do. They're going to do whatever they have to do to make that sure that this message does not reach a large audience. And I want to also say that outside, I just heard of one of your sound bites, um, commercials um, with um, Brother Wilma Leon will be joining you um, in a few days. He has been the only radio talk show host who has a syndicated show who's allowed me to come on this show and talk about this issue. He allows me to come on on numerous of occasions. I went to Joe Madison, someone who I know very well. He wouldn't do it. He's allowed me on the show many other times. I've gone to Mark Thompson, who's a friend of mine, who I know from my day, radical days in D.C. Yeah. Um, we, we talk all the time on the phone. We text. He said he couldn't help me. Uh, um, everybody's afraid of this issue because... Well, you know, it, it's really interesting. And, uh, Dr. Isa, I have been broadcasting Bold, Brave, and Black for over 25 years. I've never done any other kind of radio. And um, we as a people have to understand that if we don't take control of the path in which information uh, comes to us, that we will never know where we are or where we're headed. Um, I mean, I have been toiling at this for a very long time. Our loss of community uh, talk radio has been devastating. And when you see that, when you see that, I mean, people like Mark Thompson and Joe Madison, Warren Ballantyne, and others who cannot control the content of what of of what we're saying, then we've got to understand it's not black talk radio. It's somebody else's talk radio. And exactly. one of the reasons, I mean, Dr. Wilma Leon is going to be joining us for our special on Thursday night as we look at what the Democratic National Committee is offering uh, in their convention. Uh, we've really got to... Um, give him big kudos because he's been on this show a number of times. He co-hosted a couple of specials with me uh, previously. So I'm, I'm glad to know that you do have uh, support for with people out there who will take the risk. But there are some who will not. And just and because they more... talk about black issues doesn't make it black radio. You You would think that my case... You know, and people have told me my case is probably one of the biggest cases in the country. Here you have the son of the vice president. Remember, the vice president went around not too long ago to a group of black people saying, "Y'all going they gonna put y'all all back in chains." His son is persecuting a university African American professor who's never been convicted of any crime outside of traffic tickets. This is Bo Biden Jr. in Delaware um, doing this. 
And you would think that being that um, we haven't had a professor, whether black or white, who was arrested for supporting young people in their First Amendment right to talk about very serious issues, that this would be an issue that will be over all the major networks. No, it's an election year. And one thing that they don't want to talk about is what is happening to black education on in higher level higher in um higher education. Another important issue that the students linked through my lectures is that the Supreme Court at this very moment is the is 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 looking at a case called Fisher versus the University of Texas. And this is where they are about to rule in October on whether or not whether or not African Americans or whether or not um, predominantly white schools will be able to continue allowing African Americans to be admitted um, due to affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Affirmative action in higher education is gone. They are about to end it. So on one hand, they're attacking the HBCUs, right, on one hand. Then on the other hand, they are um, about to end affirmative action in higher education. That means, th- th- I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? This I is understand serious. exactly what you're saying. It's and very, it's not- very serious. It's one of the biggest issues in black history. And, That's right. And, and, you, even and, if you look at Howard University uh, and the ratio of white professors to African-American professors, if you look at Fisk University and you look at the faculty, and then you begin to look at some of these state like FAMU and and Alabama State and some others, and you look at the student body. You know, I, let me tell you another incident that I think it is important for for us to to really take a look at and understand the backdrop of the story. At Florida A&M, um, the law school was merged with the white law school. Mm-hmm. The School of Architecture is one of the top schools of architecture in the country, and they're getting ready to merge it with Florida State University. No, this this is all by design. This is it's what I'm saying. It's all by design. Now, it what is, is absolutely happening? Absolutely by design. You have a group of um, elitist um, whites who, like I said, they are running this this illusion that we live in a post-racial world, and so in that they really believe that there is no need, there is not no need for black colleges. Why? Mm-hmm. We got to understand what what have these black colleges done to scare these people so much? Well, like I said. Um, du Bois came from one. Dr. King came from one. The whole black middle class mostly have exactly. come majority from these schools. Exactly. And the socialization and the, the type of education that you get from these schools, there's constant re, re um, a constant um, affirmation of culture, you know, that you have to be better, that you have to go back and do something for the community. And so right. some people have deemed this as a, basically almost as a national security threat. 
So they feel that they have to go and attack these schools like this. Also, um, a lot of these historically black college um, presidents are being vetted by very powerful organizations, meaning that all over the country, this new school of black uh, um, administrators at this at these universities, their whole purpose, not all, but a lot of them, and I have proof of this, their purpose at this point is to make sure that these schools are whitened up. Yeah, and so this exactly. is why you see this at Florida A&M. This is why you see this at Elizabeth City State University. This is why you see it at Tennessee State University. In fact, just last week at Tennessee State University, and I will uh, ask your listening audience to, if you don't believe me, just Google what I'm about to say. Last seven days ago, um, a, a young woman professor by the name of Dr. Jane Davis she was arrested, just like me, and she was the president. She was arrested by the university president because she was vocal on the mismanagement of what they were doing at Tennessee State University as it regards the faculty. I read that. I, I did students. read about that story. Now, I've, I've talked to her on numerous of occasions since she's been arrested, and we both come to the same conclusion that there is a conspiracy. Yeah. destroy black colleges well, with black presidents. This, and the president this, this did not just happen. Look at who they're putting on the boards of directors of HBCUs. Yes. Look at Hampton University Department of Business Administration, who has decided that black students cannot wear dreadlocks or break cornrows if you are enrolled in that department in the college. Can you yeah, imagine at Hampton University? I mean, yeah, I'm not I, I just, you know, I'm I am I'm neither. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Dr. Jahi Isa. He is uh, the, a former professor, assistant professor of history and Africana studies at Delaware State University. He faces serious criminal charges and several years in jail as a result of a rally pro student rally protest that he attended according to the university but he is also uh and we are convinced that he was has been attacked and he was arrested and terminated by the university because this was an opportunity for them to eliminate the college of him because of his writings about ongoing attacks on black faculty, black students, and historically black colleges and universities, and that that his termination and his possible criminal prosecution was a part of a, system, a systematic attack directed at black education and public education. You can read the article at blackagendareport.com, the ethnic cleansing of historically black colleges in the age of Obama, and for his positioning himself to protect both his civil rights and the legacy of HBCUs. If you'd like to talk about this, our number at Our Common Ground is 347 
838-9852. Dr. Isa, we have a number of calls on the board. I'd like to go to some of those calls. Okay, sure, sure. Okay. You're on the air at Our Common Ground. Thank you very much for your call. Hello? Hello? Somebody's not paying attention. Let's go to another caller. You're on the air at Our Common Ground. Okay. Um, I'm I'm deleting these calls because, you know, this show has been plagued by paid trollers from the neoconservative Ku Klux Klan, whoever, however they are. You see, you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Um, I I'm, mean, I'm but not, this is well, not different for me. In the 1980s, um, it would, it would be. It would be no surprise to me if I went, came out of the radio station, went to my car, and found dead birds, um, broken bottles at the door of my car, uh, tires that were had been flattened, cut, whatever. Um, one of the most risky things that ever happened was there was a threat against my daughter, who was a high schooler at the time. So, you know, this is not new to me. Um, recently, I've had a number of, um, I don't know if it's hacking or if it's complaining, um, on Facebook announcements about various topics for this show as well as TruthWorks Network. Set a fire, um, a soul on fire has been... Um, uh, a point of uh, protest by reporting the posts from Solar Fire. So prophesize on, folks. Just bring it on because I know how to do it. 646, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Yes, Um. good evening. Um. Doc, you know, your plight is not a surprising plight um, that's facing our people. You know, my question to you is this. What is the possibility of you organizing some of these HBCU students to put together not only a think tank, but institutions to collectively start businesses? Because, you know, the graduation and intellectual capacity of most of those students have the tools to create business and industry. I, I don't understand why, you know, we educating these kids to go work for, for white folks. You know, at what point in time are they going to do what Booker T was talking about, building up our own um, communities, neighborhoods, and continents? Well, that, that's exactly how I taught at Delaware State University. I I, I didn't teach kids um, to solely go into the workforce because one, there are no jobs for our people in the workforce. We've been we've been replaced um, by whites, um, um, and so that's what's going on now. So 
um, I will talk about the importance of, um, like, the business school starting a, um, a having an endowed chair on African-American entrepreneurship, right? I will talk about the importance of, um, in my lectures, in my history lectures, I will tell a lot of kids that you need to really start thinking about starting businesses in our communities that will reflect um, where we can come and um, spend money within, within our own people, and not just um, nas- locally and nationally, but globally. These globally. are the things that I would that I would teach. Now, starting a conference, um, I would love to. I tried to do one in um, February. We had pushed it back to late March, uh, but um, 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 of course, I got arrested. And um, you know, I'm still really in almost in a shell shock that these charges haven't been dropped. But I understand, you know, um, what this is about, and that the stakes are very high, and that they see me as the mouth, mouthpiece and um, as a potential leader. And so they're going to well, do everything to try to marginalize and undervalue me in my efforts. Well, you know, the good thing, brother, is that you clearly understand that because. You know, with the stance that you're taking, they they definitely gonna attack you, and continue to attack you. But at some point in time, we we gonna have to figure out how we could come together and deal with our situation as a people on a global level, because um this country is going downhill, man. This this is not a country that is on the uprise. I mean, unfortunately, we as a people put too much into America and don't look abroad on any type of level, and that's really what these HBCUs need to be doing. They need to be forging relationships over on the motherland because um, we we possess all of the skills to build build the nation and uplift the nation. And, um, you know, like you said, man, these, these people need to be able to educate their own and get their own jobs. So um, the attack that's being placed upon you is not surprising, man. And and I will definitely um, keep on top of this. And if there's a petition you have online, I'll sign it. And, um, you know, I'll I'll definitely try and find you on Facebook or something like that because you you must be supported, man. And it's a shame that the Negroes in these HBCUs don't come together and support you because it sounds like you talking what they need to um, hear, and um, unfortunately, they're scared of brothers like you. But best of luck to you, brother, and keep Colin, up let the me, great work. Let me, let me tell you that the HBCU Institute is supporting Dr. Issa in this matter, and anyone who um, would like to support uh, Dr. Issa, you can go to HBCU institute.org I'm posting in our chat room um, to support him in this matter there is a a letter of uh, a petition that has been going around uh, Dr. Isaac because I that is how I first heard uh, about your case Um, the petition that was being um, circulated uh, someone had sent to me asking me if I would support it. It's hbcuinstitute.org if you would like to support 
Yeah, you uh, can go Dr. on there and make a donation. Um, um, I'm now, I mean, out of an, uh, uh, money um, because of the tremendous amount of cost of legally, and I, and this was the design of um, the president of Delaware State and his cohorts um, to try to break me financially, knowing that I have five children all under the age of 14, knowing mm. that my children were were a permanent fixture at Delaware State University. They were up there more than most of the students. Um, I really believed in raising my children in those type of environments. And so with them um, firing me, it's basically drained me of any type of, of all financial resources in which I now believe they're going to also try to challenge me on my unemployment. And so um, now my family were without medical insurance, were without um, a, a very important um, um, aspect of our um, our income, all because of a First Amendment yeah. issue. Yeah. So yeah. Can, can, I ask you, can I ask you can your I, name? Um, this is this is Jay. Um, you oh, know, okay, my, my, Jay. Let me let me, let me just wait. say this, and 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 then I really have to go. You know, bro. I mean, I understand your plight. I'm going to definitely make a donation to you, brother. But you know, the thing that annoys me in what you're saying is that why should a man like yourself be in that position to where as they have you in such a chokehold? You know what I mean? I mean, that's well, a question the, that Jay, we definitely need to ask. One of the things we have to understand is that it just, the, the the great beatdown and the destruction of the black middle class, the black academy, the black resistance movement, it has always been about a systemic beatdown. Janet, Janet, let me let me say this to you. I understand clearly what you're saying, but I have to totally disagree with you. Because, and the reason why I say this is, and I think the professor will understand it, you you don't stand up to liberate a people and be in a position to where, as if they decide to take your job, you're now decimated to not be able to take care of your family. And it doesn't make him a bad guy. It's a problem that we as a people suffer from because he's not supposed to be in that position because he already clearly understands that these people are the enemy. So you always have to have some sort of outside resource to be able to survive. And this is what we as a people make our biggest mistake in. We have no other outside resource to be able to take care of our family. And I'm not criticizing you, brother, because I'm going to donate to you. I'm just saying that this is an example that we as a people have to look at and address and deal with. I hear you. Oh, I'm in agreement with you. Um, but there are some other issues at play that, you know, there's not even enough time for me to really yeah, I will. Um, deal That's with. Up, brother. But, but I understand Thanks. exactly what you're saying, and I'm in full um, a, a, a agreement. Um, it was the timing of everything. The timing had to be right, and um, it is what it is. You know. Yeah, it. Um, it I mean, uh, we know, there we are know very that. few of us 
who take care of our families, who are in a position uh, where we are not dependent upon the, a system yes. that if we Very buck true. it, it will not be vicious uh, onto us. 916, you're on the air. Thank you, Jay, for your call. 916, you're on the air. I guess you don't recognize your own area code. Okay, we're going to put you on hold. And um, Dr. Isa, one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about is whether or not other members, other than the HBCU Institute, other members of the academy, the scholars community, has reached out to you? No. Um, no. Um, no. I mean, we have people who are heads of departments, and they can decide who's going to teach what. I mean, uh, just... Um, uh, no, individually, in, I've had people to come and say, oh, well, we're concerned, and we're going to write a letter, we're going to do this, but... You know, this really hasn't, there really hasn't been much um, support. That doesn't mean that it's too late, um, because um, my attorney just wrote a, um, a brilliant uh, motion to dismiss the case, which, you know, 99% of the time the judge won't dismiss it. But if enough attention is brought to this case, and this is an election year, and this is an election issue, the plight of how black people are educated, um, um, the, the attorney general will be forced to drop it because his father is the vice president of the country. And so um, also um, um, I have um, gotten, well, uh, well, I got verbal support from the university alumni, but since then that has all waned. Um, I'll support um, the, the alumni president was with me, but I understand since then that, um, you know, some people have been made offers and things uh -huh. like that. So um, uh -huh. everybody has a price, you know. So mm -hmm. Let, Let's talk a little about how people get and who, you know, the political aspect of how you get appointed to a board of trustees. I mean, we've got problems with board of trustees on every angle. One is um, in our organizations, like the NAACP, the Urban League, um, I can even say the Delta the, the, the Theta's and uh, whatever's, and how they get appointed and the political posture and their understanding, especially in HBCUs, you would think that there would be more progressive thought about the nature of students and what needs to, to happen. Yeah, you would think so. For, um, the day on March the 1st, um, I was attacked by university police in front of a group of young black kids. 
And it was almost as if the president of the university, Harry Williams, was acting as if he was Bull Connors. You know, he had that type of power and that type of um, um, lack of respect for black people that in all that 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 he he really just didn't care. Um, the board of trustees they've said nothing, mostly because um, the vast majority of the board of trustees at Delaware State are white. Um, they're non-African American, and um, um, also at other universities, um, you know, um, the people who can make a difference in these issues regarding these schools turning white are the alumni. Um, but like most of the black middle class, they're basically really um, very comfortable in their living situation until it affects them personally. And um, they're not looking at the greater picture. Uh, they're not looking at it and how policy is shaped and how these policies um, trickle down and affect all of us in this country. And so um, there, there has to be a moving, movement of some type, and it has to come from within the mainstream black America if we're going to put a halt to the end of African Americans in higher education. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how many of you out there really think about um, the importance of HBCUs and what is the best way in which we prepare our own people for future workforce in this nation. Um, historically, black colleges and universities suffered nearly $30 million in cuts to their base of federal funding as a result of the mandated funding for fiscal year 2011 budget appropriations. And these cuts are having an adverse and in many cases, devastating impact on HBCUs as higher education institutions um, among what we now can say is the most diverse student bodies in America. And and if you want to really get into the level of funding for 2012 budgeting, you can just Google Title III B funding. Title III B, Part B, is the lifeblood of historically black colleges and universities. And um, what they're doing is this bill transforms HBCUs to meet the challenges and opportunities. But, Dr. Issa, there's another question that comes to mind. Uh, for, for and it, and it's not directed to you so much, but I'd like to hear you talk about it. People have to understand that what we have in our community, our churches, our civic organizations, our civic institutions, they depend on us. They really depend on us to support them, and we don't. Well, yeah, this is true. Um, um, I can say this regarding the civic organizations as it regards my case. Um, 
I've gotten very little support from the state of Delaware. Um, I've, I approached several months ago the NAACP, and they basically told me they can't help me. Um, I've approached the, I called the National Urban League for help. They gave me lip service that they were going to help. I talked to Damian Connors, who's the um, outreach, national outreach um, coordinator, um, but I haven't heard anything from them. Um, I've approached almost every, or I've, I've even approached the Crisis Magazine, which um, I know the editor, Jabari Asim, who's from my hometown, St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, I know Jabari as well. He's mm-hmm. uh, right here we used to in, write together. in Boston. Really? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. before he, you call him because this is a homeboy. Before he made it big time, we used to write for a very small independent black newspaper. He was older than me, called Take Five. And Jabari was the first person in major media that I contacted because he used to be with the Washington Post. But mm-hmm. um, I guess some people told him um, not to um not to help me, and I never, I sent him emails, I would call him, call him at his job at the university, he never responded, and um, so this tells me that, that the powers to be that don't want to get my story to get out there to mainstream uh, media, um, they are basically pre, uh, marginalizing me, and basically telling uh, folks not to really deal with me, um, because of my issues, um, because of my my because of what I'm bringing up. And I'll tell you another thing that Delaware State University has done to me, and I'll defy anyone to tell me that it is not true. Come on now, we're speaking truth to power here. Your students, the white students at Delta at at Delaware State, have been encouraged to go to blogs where reports and commentary on your study to criticize you as a professor? Well, I haven't seen that. Um, I, I have. Really? Where? Um, on, on, uh, on, on, the, on the Black News Star, and I can send you a list, because I always look at comments that people make in regard to a story. And I saw a pattern, you know, of students, and I'm sure that they were not black students. I was the most popular professor at Delaware State University, so for I any heard student that. to say anything other than that is it, it, a lie. And my my yeah. my 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 peer. But it's the way that they operate, and you know that. Mm-hmm. Now I want to say this to the listening audience. Now, there was a, a rally, um, a protest by the predominantly white equestrian team exactly almost two years before, uh, uh, after, or before um, the black students having their rally. Um, and the white, predominantly white equestrian team, they wrote, because the university was considering cutting their budget, they rode horses um, across the university lawn. Um, they didn't have a permit. They um, um, they went to the um, in front of the administration building. They their horses defecated all over the campus. They called the president the president names. Um, they had they had a bullhorn. 
there were faculty and white faculty and white uh, um, employees of the equestrian team. They were out there screaming and yelling in front of the media. They went up to the Board of Trustees meeting. Nothing was done to them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when a group of black kids did this at a black college in mm-hmm. front of the Martin Luther King Center, um, they basically lynched me. It was a lynching. It was a lynching. Mm-hmm. It was a lynching that was done by a black president because yep. the white people in the state told him to do it. Do it, yep. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and our guest tonight is Dr. Jahi Isa. Thank you so much for being with us, and we're going to go back to our phone, 773. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Well, good evening, Janice, and good evening to your guest, Dr. Isa. Alpha of the Alpha Show, Um, out of Chicago. This is classic. This is a classic. You see, you can go to Joe Madison. You can go to um, the other. Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson. Mark Zamella. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They are capitulating to the threat of not getting advertising. You see, this entire system has been co-opted. If they give you a platform to air your grievance, they will lose some ad- advertisement, which will in turn allow their mother stations to question whether or not they should be airing their their uh, product. So you are simply in this bind, and you are dealing with um, Ricardo Jones. You already know where the um, – where the uh, your your regress to the hostile work environment with the EEOC, you know where that's going. You you know you've seen the numbers. Yeah. Like how many cases are verified or given the green light? And what you are, you are simply a a victim, a prisoner of this political fight. And you know it, it's like so many of the other uh, fighters. Truth or freedom or or civil rights fighters who have fought the same kinds of fights have been allowed to wither and and dwindle on the vine because we don't support our own. We don't support those who are trying to support our youth. You will not find black youth, even those who are going to school, who are willing to do anything other than yell, scream, and talk. You will find no financial aid, and the mere fact that you are in a position where you have five children and you have a household and all of this to maintain, this is nothing more than political terrorism. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. It, 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 it is, and you, and and it's a fascist. It's very fascist. Like I was saying um, earlier, and my 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 phone, my house phone is going dead. I'm gonna have call back on my um, cell phone. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll take a break. And um, Alpha, stay with me because I like uh, political terrorism uh, as a word that we use. I think we have to be very, very careful. Uh, Dr. Isa, go ahead and call back in and um, the area code will still be 302? Yes. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, I, I like the notion, Alpha, that you use of political terrorism. Because we have to start, and I think I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago, we have to start using the language that fits where we are. Well, that's what it is. And when you look at it, you know, Janice, we know about the the extent of right-wing think tanks. And with the Koch brothers uh, funding or founding 85 of them, don't you think there's one that they, that's working on uh, Dr. Isis' case? Mm-hmm. Don't you think that there's one that he is yep. their topic? Well, you know, they're one of the things that I was getting to uh, earlier in my discussion with Dr. Isa is this whole thing with SAMU. Um, when we know anything, that school is going to be totally dismantled. It's going to be dismantled because it's going to be integrated into the larger, predominantly white state university so that the athletic, the basketball, the baseball, and the football revenues can, that come out of that school can feed. They've been trying to do it for years. Now let's go on to Mars Brown College, I mean Mars Brown University. Mars Brown University was established by slaves. You know, and we cannot, and I don't want to go on a tirade tonight because I'm trying to have, be peaceful, because the RNC convention, I mean, the them people just wore me out. Well, and this morning, uh, Melissa Harris-Perry, who has just lost um, and has no insurance on a house that she bought to restore across the street from where she lives, was blown down by Isaac. We had people who were devastated, absolutely devastated, uh, in Louisiana and parts of Mississippi by Isaac. And I'm just worn out. But... I will go on this tirade anyway. If we don't start treasuring, if we don't start valuing what is worthy that we have, it will all go away. Well, it's about to all go away. It's about to all go away. I mean, that's a sad state of affairs. And who stood up? What black commentator? has stood up and talked about political terrorism against black people in this country. Not one of them. I mean, Melissa went off this morning, and she really went off. She she lost it this morning, and she apologized, but she was absolutely right. And the, the killing part about it, this was directed at a minority young lady who simply has found her way into the uh, financial uh, arena, and she's doing well. So she's adopted the narrative. She's Yeah. Please, Dr. Uh, Isa has just, joined us again. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Isa, for, um, uh, for joining us again. For those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Our Common Ground, and tonight we're talking about the case of Dr. Jahi, um, Isa and at Delaware State University. This man is facing going to jail over this bullshit. 
Well, you know, and and I just went through Delaware, and one of the place, one of the things I was telling my daughter, that Delaware was the center, was a center point of the Black Power movement in this country in the 1960s. Where the people? That's my question. You all better wake up, because. As Dr. Issa said, and he characterized it perfectly, the fascism, if you mix fascism with racism and you layer it on top of white supremacy, you're dead in the water. There's no more of you. You are invisible. You don't matter. These people are emboldened, and they have their puppets to carry out their program yes they have um broken into my car and stolen are you there you got to turn me? down you got to turn down your computer you, okay you, yes we uh, bounce. i, I want to read something that dr w.e.b du bois said in 1960 at a speech and he said this and and, and it is very prophetic he said, um, what, what we must now ask ourselves is when we become equal American citizens, what will be our aims and ideals, and what will we have to do with selecting these aims and ideals? Are we to assume that we will simply adopt the ideals of Americans and become what they are or want to be and what and that? We will have in, in this process no ideals of our own. He's talking to the civil rights leadership. Then he goes uh-huh. further and says, this will mean that we will cease to be Negroes as, as such and become white in action, if not completely in color. We will take on the culture of white Americans doing as they do and thinking as they think. Manifestively, this will not be satisfactory. Physically, it would mean that we would be integrated with Americans, losing, first of all, the physical evidence of color and hair and racial type. We will lose our memory of Negro history and those racial peculiarities which, which have been long associated with the Negro. We will cease to acknowledge any greater tie with Africa than with England or Germany. As I have said before, I will repeat, I am not fighting to settle the question of racial equality in America by the process of getting rid of the Negro race, getting rid of black folk, not producing black children, forgetting the slave trade and slavery and the struggle for emancipation, or forgetting abolition and especially ignoring the whole cultural history of Africa in the world, of Africans in the world. The deficiency of knowledge of Negro history and culture, however, will will remain, and this danger must be met, or else American Negroes will disappear. Their history and culture will be lost. Their connection with the rising African world will be impossible. And that comes from the souls of black folks. No, this actually was written... Uh, this was written in an article called Whither Now and Why 
at um 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 J- Johnson Johnson um was a Johnson Smith University in nineteen sixty. This was an actual lecture before he left the country and went to Ghana. But well, he saw well, the failure of the civil rights movement. He saw it. And he was writing to the leadership saying, this is not what I spent my 90 years on this earth trying to do. You guys are trying to make us disappear. And this is where we're at now. We're at this stage now in our history. And this is why I felt it was important that I write those articles and that I work with my students and I stand with them and I try my best to get them to think and that's what the crime, that's why I'm being persecuted by this government, is because I got black students to think. And that's a crime now. It's a big crime. Mm-hmm. And so um, I need the support of the listening audience. Um, I need your prayers. I need any type of financial assistance. I need people to start petitions. I need uh, uh, um, people to, um, um, to to help me with an array of things, you know, I think this issue should be a presidential issue, the, 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 the importance of black education. Because when we can't expect those guys who are on, on mainstream radio to do this, they're not going to do it. They're getting paid not to do it. So this has to come from the people. That's my plea, and that's why I sacrificed uh, myself um, um, that day, hoping that someone would listen and someone would say this is wrong. We have to worry about how black people are educated. I am Dr. Jahi Uchi Issa because people stood up for me, people that I never met. And when I went to um, the three HBCUs that I attended, um, I was treated on every level like I was somebody. And then when I, I entered some of these schools with less, less than uh, uh, um, adequate skills, but when I finished, because of the love that these people showed me, because of the love that they showed me at these black colleges, um, I was on par and I could compete with anybody coming from Harvard, Yale, or any university around the you world. you got to stay in your microphone, otherwise we lose you. I'm sorry? Say that again because we didn't get that because you were your mouth was a, away from the microphone. Okay, I, I was saying that. I am Dr. Jahi Issa because people sacrificed. Um, when I entered into these HBCUs, the three historically black colleges that I attended, Southern University, Texas Southern University, and my Ph.D. from Howard, um, um, they prepared me. And so when I saw that there was a program in place to try to destroy these schools, I realized that I was probably the only one that could write and stand up about uh, um, and stand up and tell the speak truth to power about this. Now, I never anticipated that I would be persecuted by some of the most powerful people in in the world. Um, but nonetheless, um, um, I'm expecting that um, mainstream black people, the average um, a mother and father and uh, and student who's hearing my plea will come out and give me the assistance that I need to get this um, this issue, my issue, which is connected to the survival of blacks in higher education, bring this issue to the world. 
so I do need help. Um, um, people can contact me via my email, which is um, Jahi Issa, J-A-H-I-I-S-S-A-6-5 at gmail.com. And um, um, I, I do need help. Um, like like, like um, I, I, I'm unemployed now. Um, it's almost impossible for me to receive any employment because the first thing you see now is that when you Google my name is that I was arrested. You know, you have a white guy sitting on my back, a white police officer, um, sitting on my back ready to punch me in the head I'm at a university. Um, this this particular officer, um, he used that picture as a trophy, and, and he got a major promotion at another uh, police station. You, we, we keep losing you. We we keep losing yeah, you. Yeah, I, I think this is you, you're losing me because the, the fascists who are um, who have control of my cell phone are are doing this. Well, we're not going to let you go simply because of that. We'll just struggle through it. But you're you're you know one of the your 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 pass, passionate commentary there that strikes me is that. Uh, they have either there. There are two things that have happened in our history that those who would struggle on our behalf and those who would teach to preserve our future have either been destroyed or they have been assassinated. I hope everyone who's listening to this program tonight heard what I said. No, they have been you. either destroyed or assassinated. Our best and our brightest. Our courageous resistors. So, Dr. I said one of the things that uh, we really want you to know that we stand in solidarity with you. That's number one. And you're absolutely right that part of the destruction is that our children watched a black man to destroy another black man. <laughs> Our children understand, and and you know you you have to remember you know like I'm I'm, I'm I, you have to remember out there that these HBCUs are the life have been the lifeline of our people. Both my parents, my grandmother, my grandfather, all attended HBCUs because that was the only option. And for so many of the students who watched Dr. Issa be accosted and attacked by campus police and taken away by police, I mean, keep in mind, 
Dr. Issa, on the, at the time of this incident, had to be taken to a hospital because his blood pressure went up above 200. He was hurt in this incident. He was injured. His shoulder was injured. And these people are insisting. I mean, here's a man who had this happen, then he goes to the White House and he talks to the to the, all the right people, people who can make this just go away, people who could put together, a, who could pick up a phone and call Dr. Williams and say, make it go away. Find a place for him in another institution. And don't forget, we're also looking at one, another one of our brilliant ones, Dr. Julianne Malveaux. She left Bennett, and nobody understands how that happened and why that happened. Another HBCU. Another black, bright, and best. Oh, I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Heiser, what did they charge you with? Um, I'm being charged. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm being charged with um, causing a riot um, when there was no riot, um, um, verbally assaulting an officer, which I did not do. Um, <clears throat> I'm being Are charged they saying- with... Let me stop you. Are they saying a police officer or are the campus police? Campus police. Okay. Um, okay. I'm I'm being charged with um, resisting arrest, which I did not do, and I'm also being charged with offensively touching an officer, um, which you know you have to intentionally do that, you know. And I had medical conditions um, that that that. You know, this is, you have to deliberately, intentionally touch someone, and they're making an argument that I that I intentionally touched this um, this black chief of police who um, who sought to arrest me um, because the other black um, police would not join in in this, and this was a new black chief of police who was um, uh, was forced to retire from his position. He was the number three person in for the state troopers um, because of um, um, some alleged um, rapes and um, that went on um, and under Before his Before he remember. had this job. Yes, and he had just mm-hmm. gotten this job like two months prior, and this is how he redeemed himself to the um, white world. And um, um, But none of the other black police would... Um, Assist in trying to take me down, yeah. and um, so yes, um, there, there are a lot of other issues that you know it's not enough time to talk about. Yeah. But, uh, Alpha, thank you for your call. Uh, you've made some, you've you've flushed out some very important issues here. Okay. And we look forward to hearing you on Fridays at the Alpha Show on TruthWorks Network, uh, Dr. Isa. What's the future for you now? Well, um, I have a very good criminal attorney. Um, I need to get, um, because of the um, breach of contract with the university and my collective bargaining agreement, um, I have to find a um, 
an attorney that would represent me on that level. As of now, I don't know because I, the, the firing was unexpected. I thought, you know, at least I had another year on my contract. At least that's what uh-huh. the contract did. And I thought that my the AAUP, the uh, American uh, Association of University Professors, would help me since I'm a due-paying uh, member. But um, since they all were in on this school turning white, um, they they gave very little help. It was a lot of bombs. So. Right now, everything is up in the um, um, in the air. I have to find a place to stay because we can no longer live in the place where we are presently staying. Um, so I don't know. It, it doesn't sound good. It's a very dismal um, future. You see, in, in in the 60s, they would kill us. You know, we know that they, um, yeah. Yeah. like you were saying, they shot Dr. King in the face. People tend to forget that. And they shot Malcolm X in front of his wife and children shot them in the chest. Um, but now what they do is kill you financially, and then they try to um, marginalize you yeah, yeah. in front of the world. Um, yeah. And so um, without the support of people like you, which I am extremely grateful that you are giving me the time to get on your show and talk about uh, my issue, um, people can just Google my name and they'll, they'll see the abundance of articles that have been written on it. Um, so I, you ask me what happens next. I think that really depends on your listening audience and other people. Hopefully other people will hear my story and want to uh, fight to get me on some mainstream media to talk about this. Well, we certainly wish you the best. I know that this is a very tough time, especially having children who have to also become victims of this um, very outrageous circumstance and um, certainly you and I will talk Uh, I have some ideas I don't know if you have talked with Rick Adams up in Pittsburgh or talked with um, Ron Daniels about uh, the state of the black uh, world conference in Washington D.C. in uh, September this month uh, but I think it's a place where you might be able to also tell your story, and I'm hoping that I can make that happen. So yeah, thank you very so. much, and I hope you'll call in as one of, the, one of our commentators as we watch the uh, President Obama take the stage on Thursday night at 10 o'clock. Most definitely. I love okay. okay. Thank you, and um, Aborigani. Yes, a boy guy. I want to also add really quick that I um, that the New York Times did a special on me when I was running the uh, 15 counties in North Carolina for the Obama primaries. I was the grassroots representative, and I oh, argued God. 15 counties. This is before, and everybody was still on the Clinton's tip. I wrote an article, me and a friend, saying that blacks should break tradition. And then I got hit the ground with the the approval of my wife, and we used our own monies, and we ended up raising um, thousands of dollars for the Obama um, camp, and we organized 15 counties in North Carolina. And and I'm being persecuted by the Obama camp. This is something that's, and you can, I mean, the New York Times did a special on me. Uh, You can Google this, and 
It's something that 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 I'm dumbfounded. It, it doesn't make sense. No, it does not. But it is the diabolical way in which politics work. Right. Dr. Isa, do take care, and okay, we hope lot. that uh, something will will come your way in terms of employment and new opportunities uh, for you. Keep writing. All right. Thanks a lot. You have a nice day, and uh, I hope to hear from you soon. Okay. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Jahi Isa, and if you want to assist and support him, you can do so by going to hbcuinstitute.org to provide some assistance. Uh, You can also read at Chronicle.com his article, No Need to Overhaul Americas, his response to the White House advisor on HBCUs in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Uh, At Black Agenda Report, How Black Colleges Are Turning White. Um, To understand what has happened here, uh, it's important for you. We're going to take a break. Uh, And when we come back, we're going to have to say goodnight, but we're going to be talking to you about what's going on at our Common Ground special on Thursday night. TruthWorks Network presents Working While Black, a six-week series on employment discrimination and racism in the workplace. How African Americans cope, face, and struggle with employment discrimination. What are the laws that protect us? And what are the agencies that do not? How do you cope employment, racism, and discrimination in the workplace? Join Ricardo Jones, the host of Working While Black. He is a former senior investigator at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Join Ricardo Jones in Working While Black, only at TruthWorks Network. Working While Black, Tuesdays, 10 p.m. at TruthWorks Network, where the truth must be spoken more than once. TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative on Blog Talk Radio. And we want to remind you of the I Declare show that airs Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. here at Blog Talk Radio. Where spirit matters. Across the board, the reality of racism, the part it is playing in frustrating the aspirations of millions of black children all across this country through poverty, through inferior public schooling, through poor health care, etc. And recognize the part that racism plays in that. Or, 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 or we aren't. And if we aren't going to recognize it for them, then we're not going to make any excuses about policy failures in the White House either. If it ain't no excuses for them, it ain't no excuses for him. If they can, if they can face the hell that they're catching and still be expected to succeed, then damn it, we expect to get a public option. And we expect to see some social justice. And we expect to be some, see something done about the plight of the poor. Don't give me that the economy is too bad. You know why? Because we got no excuses. Because we just a zero-sum game. We believe. 
Where spirit matters. Only on TruthWorks Network. Your Wednesdays just got better. Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Where spirit matters. Oh, we can play some happy songs tonight. Y'all ready? Is y'all ready to sing it? This is Our Common Ground at Blog Talk Radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Uh, some announcements. We have our Thursday night, 10 p.m. DNC as we watch uh, President Barack Obama take the stage at the DNC convention. We also want to let you know that Tuesday night, Working While Black, uh, Ricardo Jones is the host, and I will be joining him on Tuesday night to talk about uh, Title Seven and also talking about racial harassment in the workplace against black people. On Wednesday night, join us for Soul of Fire. This week's topic is um, the race card. Nope. This week's topic is Beyond the New Babylon. Talking Funk, uh, Bringing the Noise, with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. Also, we want to announce we have a new member of the TruthWorks Network family, Michelle Odom, who is the new producer of Soul of Fire at TruthWorks Network, and we certainly uh, want to welcome her to the family. We hope that we'll see you Tuesday night at Working While Black. I'm Janice Graham, speaking truth to power and ourselves, making truth power one broadcast at a time. You've been tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And don't forget, here, Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Have a great weekend.